dressed up in a mascot costume, gone shirtless wearing orange body paint, joined the student section of a women's game and coached his own team in the final four. And he can coach with a title in division two, a final four at Auburn and a number one ranking this year before falling to Miami in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Unlike most coaches, Bruce Pearl wears his faith, his Jewish faith for all to see. Later this year, He's taking his team to Israel, where three religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all share the holy city of Jerusalem. Hello, Bruce. Leslie, it is, it is so wonderful to, uh, to be with you and rekindle uh, an old friendship. It is. Tell me, tell me first, why is it important for you to take your team to Israel? You know, Leslie, uh, I'm a coach, I'm a teacher, and I'm, a, and I'm about getting people to work together um, and recognize that we can accomplish so much more together than we can apart. And yet, um, through these three great faiths, at times, they, they find more to separate each from one another than they do to be able to share something that is common to all of us, and that is Father Abraham. Abraham is the father of all these nations. Therefore, my Christian and Islam and Muslim brothers are brothers from the same father, Abraham. That's what coaches do. We bring people together. So I want to bring our guys to Israel. I want them to see the land of Israel. I want them to see the diversity in Israel. I want them to see people of color and recognize that it's not exactly stereotypically what they've been told and taught. Our great friend, Lee Miller, who organizes these trips for high-level college teams, she said she's never taken a team to Israel, but this is the time and you are the coach. In, in, in light of all that's going on in Ukraine, what do you want your players to see and know about discrimination? You know, obviously, um, having been born in 1960, Having grown up in Boston, I saw real racism. I saw forced busing um, where, where we took black kids from Roxbury and bust them across town to White, Hyde Park, or South Boston, and vice versa to sort of force an integration. Great idea, great concept. It just, it just, it didn't work. And um and um, it, I love the great ethnic neighborhoods of Boston, the Italian North End, the Irish South Boston, uh, uh, the, the, the South End, which was, which was Jewish and, and on, on Mattapan and Blue Hill Avenue. Um, and they all had great character and they all had, you know, great strength. It's just they couldn't get along. They were geographically divided. I and mean, that was part of the problem in Boston is the North End is there. Roxbury's over there. But uh, I think that, um, you know, what we're seeing in Ukraine is that people cannot have self-determination. And um, when you go to Israel, you know, the, the Jewish faith has experienced such repression and such discrimination. And do you think a trip like this can help mend some fences? I, I think it can. But, but, but I, think, I think we should celebrate our cultural differences and festivals and ways without being threatened 
by somebody else's. And so that's part of what racism is. It's it's a lack of exposure. It's a lack of knowing when I see in sports, we don't see color. We see whether you can guard or whether you can make a shot. And that's all we really care about. We're not as concerned with where you're going to pray on Sunday or not. And 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 I think kids and sports can teach the adults so much about, about how to get along, you know, obviously in this world. Um, and so I'm always looking for things that can bring us together. I think you told me once when you were at Tennessee, you joined a Presbyterian Bible study. Absolutely. And and at Auburn, do you share other faiths also? Look, the the um when you go to when you go to church, you know, they read from the Old Testament also, and they read from the New Testament. And so again, these are things that 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 bring us together. And so I sort of become in my Christian Bible studies, the Old Testament expert, if you will. And um, yeah, I just, I really, I, I, I love, you know, sharing those things. And, and, and again, I'm just, I just don't feel, you know, I don't feel threatened by them as much. Now, I grew up at, in, in, a, in a time and a place where anti-Semitism in, in Boston was real, really, really, really real. As I'm coaching, 95% of my players are African American. Um, they can't. They can't. They can't say, well, "Coach, you don't know. You don't know what I'm going through." No, you're right, because no, I'm not black, uh, and 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 I can't, I don't get racially profiled in a store like you do, so on and so forth. But I know what discrimination is, guys. I do, because 75 years ago they opened up the gates, and six million of my brothers and sisters were murdered because of their faith. You know, you've always been. Um, it seems comfortable with being an outlier. Of course, I've known you almost 45 years. And I remember the first time I met you, I thought, why would a Jewish kid go to Boston College? Great question. And there was an answer behind that. First of all, I love sports. Uh, I was a really good football player. I was a pretty good basketball player. And, and I was a, and it was an outstanding first baseman in baseball. I love sports. Well, you remember, you know, BC was the only college sports game really in town. The only one that was actually trying to take it seriously. And obviously, BC was a was a great school, but there were no Jewish kids that went there. They all went to BU, and because I had always been um, around a lot of non-Jewish folks, uh, that's why part of the reason I went to BC so I could expose other students that really had been around Jewish kids around Jewish kids so they can get a feeling that uh, hey man, we, we we're, we're brothers from another mother, and and that's sort of again why I'm taking my team to Israel. And that's sort of been the walk that I've been been on my entire life. Well, your whole life was, um, you must have been the class president, right? You had to have been in high I school. Was. Yeah, of course you were. <laughs> of course you were. My senior year, I was. But wait, we have to go down the path you started there, where um, about being a very good athlete. Did you see where they ranked the 64 coaches who were in the NCAA tournament, according to their basketball skills, my friend? No, I probably was down at the bottom, right? You, uh, yes, you were even worse than Scott Drew, who played tennis in high school. Now, <laughs> do you have any explanation for this? I do. I'm going to give you one. And I'm glad you asked that question. Leslie, I, you do such a great job. I've not been, got a chance to talk about some of this stuff. But for real, for real, I'm 14 years old. I am, I am one of the best athletes in my town. I, don't, I know that doesn't sound like much, but I was the first kid taken at the playground in everything. Because 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 I I would win at 15 years old a, a career ending knee injury almost 
And uh, the great Dr. Arthur Pappas, who was the Red Sox doctor uh, for years and years, did my surgery. Uh, I never fully recovered. Um, I, I was still a good athlete, but I never quite recovered. Leslie, I'm telling you right now, that was divine. I was not a well-rounded individual. I was identified completely by the athlete that I was. I don't think I was the nicest person in the world. Um, and I think God said, uh, you know what? There's way more to this life, and there's going to be way more to you, young man, than just your sports. And he took it from me. And then as a result of that, I got to know the kids in the band. And I got to know the kids in theater and drama. And I got in the school play. And, and, and then I did become class president as a senior. I had to do other things other than just dominate you on the court or on the field or on the diamond. And it was really divine. And it made me a better person. God took that from me. Did, did you think when you went to BC that coaching was going to be your calling? No, uh, I went to BC, uh, economics, uh, school of management, political science. Um, I went to, I tried out for the basketball team, got cut, um, but got to know Dr. Tom a little bit and saw what he was trying to do. And that's how I got started being a student assistant and a manager. And I worked for Tom for four years. It just so happened, Leslie, that my senior year, Tom takes the Stanford job and unbeknownst to me, and, 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 and I never worked for the man for a day in my life to try to ever be a coach. He calls me to his house and says, I'm taking a Stanford job and I want you to go with me as one of my assistant coaches. I hadn't even graduated from college yet. And, and I, and I wound up going with him, but then I actually realized, you know what I'd been doing? I've been coaching my whole life. And, 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 and so it sort of fit. What, what of his philosophy? I mean, I had the privilege of covering you guys back then. And, you know, what, what of his either defensive philosophy points off turnovers or what have you carried from, you were with him so many years at so many places. Yep. Well, if you want to pay me a compliment, tell me my teams look either like Gary Williams's teams or Tom Davis's teams. And I'm okay with that. Um, you know, Tom uh, had a system and, um, and he was an innovator. So back in the day before the three-point line, there was that crazy bounce pass, pinch and penetrate. And he ran it against zone. He ran it against man-to-man. And it was just different than what anybody ever did. Tom Davis actually liked being different. And, and, and he had a unique you know, way about him. He hired some pretty good coaches, having Kevin Mackey as, as a recruiter and Gary Williams as a coach. Um, you know, you know Kev, Dr. Tom was, uh, was, you looked at him as a professor and you looked at him as an academician but that was one competitive little sucker now. And uh, <laughs> he right? actually had a he had a little sneaky sense of humor, too. I asked him one time, you know, you're a doctor. Do you go up in the stands and save people you know, if they have a heart attack? <laughs> and he said, no, no, you know, I'm a doctor of education. And uh, I said, well, what was that about? He said, I did my thesis on the recreational lives of colonial Americans. And I said, what was that? And he said, Ben Franklin swam. <laughs> You know, Tom was, uh, he was, he was different. Um, he was patient and, um, here's great advice that he gave me, Leslie, when I left him, he said, uh, do two things. Number one, it's okay. If you teach what we taught, your system should look like this system because it's what, you know, so the system of full court pressure defense, um, you know, the things that we did offensively, you know, this go make it better. But, 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 but that, that was number one. Number two, 
be yourself. Don't be me. And I couldn't be him. He was completely different from me. He said, that way you can be authentic. That way you don't have to try to be me, to be Dr. Tom. And it was really, really good advice. And uh, so we play basketball at, at, at every place I've been, very, very similarly to how Tom Davis and Gary Williams played basketball, but I've done it being myself. But what was the, um, the experience? Like one thing, I don't know if you took this from him intentionally or unconsciously, but one thing you've had is a dignity after a really crushing loss. I mean, I saw it against Virginia. Uh, you know, there was, it probably was the foul, was a foul, but missed the double dribble. But still, that would have put you in the championship game had it ended differently. Uh, the loss to Miami had to be crushing. But where does that come from you to get it together in the moment? Yeah, uh, appreciate that so much. Again, Lizzie, appreciate it. Um, I think being older uh, helps. Um, I think being at a place like Auburn, we talk about what 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 it's like, what, what being an Auburn man uh, is all about. Uh, it's love of country, you know, love of God, uh, being well, being willing to pray before your meal, practicing your faith, so on and so forth. You know, adversity reveals character; it doesn't just build it. And so, you try to prepare your team to handle an adverse moment. And um, you know, for me, doing and saying the right things—that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm a grown man. What I was more impressed with two years ago when we lost the game and had a couple of tough calls down the stretch um, was how quickly my players were able to somehow suck it up, give Virginia the credit, not not second guess or be, you know, I'm sure they were angry and disappointed, um, but that's what an Auburn man would do. That's what we're taught to do. And so take advantage of those moments so that you and others can point to it when we're look, working with young people or other people saying, look, that's how you're supposed to handle that. But would you say it's fair to say you've made some bad decisions yourself? I mean, you were out of the game for three years. <laughs> you bet I have. And, you know, and, and, and but for the grace of, you know, of God, uh, for sure. You know, we had uh, at Tennessee, we had a couple of verbally committed juniors. Um, one of them was Aaron Kraft, who wound up having a phenomenal career at The Ohio State University. He was committed to come to Tennessee to come play for me, and he was on an unofficial visit as a junior when I had a bunch of official visitors as seniors. And he said, Coach, can I come over to the house like everybody else? And I said, no, Aaron, you can't. I uh, just got to have to sit this one out. And he's like, come on, Coach. We're not going to say nothing to nobody. And, All right, fine. You know, it, he was already committed. It wasn't a big advantage, disadvantage. Okay, so it was a mistake. I shouldn't have done it. But then when I was asked about it by the NCAA, I panicked. And I didn't tell the truth. And that's what got me. And um, and that was a terrible, terrible mistake. But it was also, it also was part of God's plan because what happened at Tennessee led me to Auburn. And so none of this stuff happens at Auburn had that not happened. You know, it's uh I remember you telling me once that when Auburn came calling, that um you still had whatever some remorse or guilt. And you didn't you almost try to say to them, no, I'm not the guy. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, I did. And uh, I, I, it, it actually got was written about a little bit this year for the first time. So Jay Jacobs flew to athletic director at Auburn at the time, flew to Bristol where I was working for ESPN. And our Friday night interview did not go very well. It was from 10 p.m. to about 2 a.m. in the morning. And and Jay was talking to somebody that wasn't sure he was ever going to get back into coaching. He was like, what am I doing here? 
And then uh, my wife, Brandy, uh, asked me that, you know, how to go. I said, it didn't go very well. Uh, I'm not sure they're going to want me after that interview. And she said, why, honey? I said, because I really don't know if I want the job. I'm, 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 I don't know if I want to get back into this again. She said, well, wake up tomorrow morning and uh, put, put the coat on. You're the Auburn's coach. See how it feels. I mean, you're really the Auburn's coach. Then take it off. She told you later, to put the jacket on? Put the jacket on. Wear it. You're Auburn's coach. You've made the decision. We're going to Auburn next week, and you are now Auburn's coach. How does it feel? It felt good. It actually felt good. It felt good. And that helped me decide, all right, you know what? I, I, I can get over this. I, I want to I, I go. He came back, fortunately, later on that morning. We had a second interview, and I told him, I said, um, that um, this is what happened. And uh, if you do offer me this job, you'll never, you'll never regret it, that I'll work hard and I'll go to work every single day rewarding you for this opportunity. And he gave me the job. They do love you. You know, I work with the Chuckster and uh, he, <laughs> you know, you've seen him. He has balloons on the set. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I think it must be a great thing to have achieved in a place that people hold so dearly. It is. It's a cool place. It is different. It's different, Leslie. It's uh, I think I think Charles loves Auburn for lots of reasons, but primarily because Auburn was a transitional point in his life coming from Leeds, Alabama, uh, being who he was. It was always in him, this incredible man and one of the greatest men I think I'll ever meet in my entire life. So generous, uh, so thoughtful, um, just just very, very interesting, very intelligent but rough around the edges when he was younger, right? And through three years of, of, of being here at Auburn, he grew up a lot. And he also looks back and goes, man, I might, never, I might never made it to where I am today. And he feels very blessed today and very grateful for the life he lives right now. He's earned it. He's worked for it. But he also recognizes without Auburn, he probably wouldn't have ever gotten there. Yeah, he says that. And he, I mean, tell me for you, we're both native Bostonians. And I remember in 1982, uh, it was the Iron Bowl. It was, of course, Bears' last game, and it was against Auburn. It was the Bo Jackson Bow over the top. So I, they won, Auburn, as you know. So I went back uh, to roll Tumor's Corner. And if you had said, really, a girl from Boston is going to be there to roll Tumor's Corner when she's like 21 years old, uh, and it was such, um, I don't know, it was so unusual. And I don't know if I would have fit in there at that age, but uh, when you first went to Tennessee and then Auburn, we, I mean, this is the South. Yeah, it is. You know, Leslie, what's amazing, what people don't, re what don't remember about you, but I do, was you graduated from BC and didn't you like get right in with the Boston Globe almost immediately? I did. And in a very, very short period of time, you know, moved up the ranks really, really fast uh, for as young as you were. You know what I used to do? Thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, I mean, the Globe made me the first woman to cover the NFL as a beat. But here's what most of my job was. Uh, I'd go to the World Series and I'd say, hi, I'm Leslie Visser. I work with Peter Gammons. I go to Wimbledon. Hi, I'm Leslie Visser from the Globe. I work with Bud Collins, you know, and the heavens <laughs> would open. So I just think you too, we were raised on hardcore sports. You had to know it. You couldn't waste people's time with it. And um, I always look at that as the blessing that, do you know, the Celtics never lost till we were in high school. Do you realize really? that? No, no. They, ne they never no. lost a championship until no, we were, were in high school. They were, they were good now. And in a hockey town, 
Yeah, in a hockey town. Hockey town. People, yeah, I mean, the, the garden was just, that's where the Bruins played and practiced. The Celtics, you know, put a wood floor down every now and then and, 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 and shot some hoops and won, and, 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 and won championships. Well, something you're doing in taking your team to Israel, it was, of course, the great Nelson Mandela who said, sport has the power to change the world. And it can, and it does. I mean, like you said, that I remember Bill Bradley said that the locker room is the ultimate laboratory. I agree. I, I do. I agree. And because we, we, we also know who the opponent is. And so many times, you know, in a locker room, you know, the reason why, you know, the Knicks were able to win that championship, which, by the way, wasn't a dynasty. The Celtics were a dynasty. The Knicks. I can't stand it. Okay. Willis Reed hit one shot. Give me a break. Exactly. Okay. Give me a break. It was a great moment in history, but that's all it was. It was not a dynasty, right? Uh, but uh, <laughs> but you're right. The locker room, look at all the kids you have from their different places and yeah. now Europeans coming in. Um, by the way, do they have good basketball in Israel? I don't know enough about it. They do. Leslie, they've got great basketball in Israel. It's actually a really good place for, for players to go and become professionals. Um, it's well paid. Uh, they, 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 there's great attendance. and actually. Um, the Israelis are pretty good players. They actually are putting out a number of, of really competitive teams. Your Maccabi Tel Aviv has won the world championship before. Um, tell me this will run before the final four. Tell me how you see it, the matchups. Um, great, great matchups. It's chalk. It's Hall of Fame. Um, great, great coaches. Um, it's going to be a great final four. It's been a great tournament, obviously, with St. Peter's run. You know, Miami's run some incredible, you know, upsets. And do you think without Justin Moore that that's a completely different animal? Yeah, it could be. You know, you don't don't want to bet against Jay Wright. Um, you know, and Jay, you talk, you talk about no, seriously, Leslie. Uh, take Hubert Davis out of the equation for a second. All right. You've got three Hall of Fame coaches right there. Uh, it just doesn't get any bigger, it doesn't get any better. Uh, and guys that have stayed on top of the game and stayed ahead of the curve and, you know, just unbelievable curves. And then what Hubert Davis has done this year in his first year, transitioning from a really talented team that was underachieving early in the year. They weren't playing together. They weren't playing hard. Um, they were, and, and he and his staff managed to turn that around. And, um, you know, it, you could make an argument that Hubert Davis could be the national, should be the national coach of the year for the turnaround in season. It's not that they don't have the horses. They had the horses, you know, but they weren't running very well. They weren't running straight early in the year. And they could have, that thing could have folded and it didn't. So I give Hubert Davis unbelievable press. Why wouldn't you expect him to do it when you're talking about an unbelievable man, an unbelievable player to assume that he would not be, and he's an unbelievable assistant coach. You would, you would have to believe that he could make that transition to being a great head coach in college. And he has. But but wouldn't you say that Duke right now, Duke has the best players? I mean, we've got four NBA and the best coach. They do. I think Duke's got the best players. Um, I think it's argued. I, I don't know that you could separate Coach K from, from what he's competing against at the Final Four right now. I don't think you can have that kind of separation because the rest of them are, that, are, are, are too good. Um, um, but he's got, he does have the best players. Obviously, it would be a storybook ending. Uh, I think Kansas has been the most tested. I think they've been the, the most tested throughout the season to all things uh, in the Big 12. Um, you know, but if, the, if it's going to be a storybook ending, it'll be Duke. Well, just uh, one final um, 
because I actually don't know exactly how this happened, but will you take me back? I think it was March 15th, 1981, BC had beaten Wake Forest, or maybe it was the Wake Forest game. And, you know, Tom Davis asked you to do something very important. And would you share with us what that was? Well, I'm glad I'm going to get a chance to clarify what this exactly was, because there's some rumor that was going around that I was the Boston College mascot. No, uh, I, no, I was not. I was not that talented. That was Eddie the Eagle and Eddie Eagle. Uh, 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 I was not the BC mascot. But what happened? 1981 NCAA tournament, Tuscaloosa, March 15th. Al- Tuscaloosa, Alabama. As a matter of fact, we're playing Ball State. Ray McCollum. We're playing Johnson and Wake Forest. Eddie the Eagle is sick and absolutely cannot fly to Tuscaloosa. Um, Tom Davis says, send the suit. I know just who I am going to put in it. And so the suit comes down. TD calls me into his, calls me to his room. I'm a junior and I'm thinking, I'm going to, I'm going to be on the roster because I practice with the team every now and then, you know, he had a uniform for me, but it didn't have a number on it. It was the mascot. And I did the very best I could. Well, all I know is that, uh, of course, it's St. Joe's. The Hawk will never die. And that's who we lost to in the next. That's who Boston College lost to in the next game. So whose fault is it? No, it was that wasn't my fault. But I got to tell you, if you think the first run in I had with the NCAA was when I was at like uh, Iowa. No, let me tell you something. So I, I, I find a ladder in a closet. I don't know what a mascot's supposed to do. I'm supposed to cheer. I'm supposed to have fun. I always wanted to be, I wanted to be one of the cheerleaders. I could have like put the, you know, put the girl up there. Right. But that, but I guess that's not what mascots do. I find a ladder, Leslie, and I climb up behind the backboard and I start waving my wings. I was there. I on the foul line at Ball State. Here's the problem. It was before wireless mics. There was a wire that was <laughs> hanging. And so the TV guys, get that freaking eagle off that ladder. Shut that microphone off. That was my first run in with the NCAA. And you heard it here, right on Leslie Visser's podcast. Oh, thank you. That's uh, breaking news. Uh, breaking news. Um, everyone, I, you know, I've loved you for decades. And you know, thank you for sharing the time. And let's do it again. Leslie, great to be with you. And uh, you're, um, you know, you being in the position that you were, also treating a young student manager at BC uh, with with respect and admiration for the little job that I had to do helping Boston College basketball rebuild. That's something that I always appreciated because you valued everybody's contributions. And, uh, and I'm grateful that we have become good friends as we've gotten older. And that was my conversation with Bruce Pearl. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today on Stitcher, Pandora, or wherever you stream your podcast to enjoy new episodes every week. In Conversation with Leslie Visser is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network and is available on the SXM app included with most subscriptions. The executive producer is the great Andrew Emmer, Sound design by Robert Moore. And special thanks to Sirius XM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Talk to you next week.
SiriusXM Podcasts.